Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, outrageous lies and fear and, jeez, so glad I was not playing the drinking game of taking a shot every time Trump lied. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way, Donald Trump. After 24 months of rapid progress, our economy is the envy of the world. America is winning each and every day. All right, after 24 months, the economy's doing well. I think the economy's been doing well for like 10 years, maybe nine. I mean, you know, basically ever since Barack Obama turned it around. And then he goes on to say that we have the hottest economy anywhere in the world. This was a speech filled with lies, right? India's economy is growing faster than ours. Greece's economy is growing faster than ours. China, of course, massively, and it's growing twice the speed of ours and has been for 20 years. But we've got the hottest economy anywhere in the world. I mean, just lying. Even Latvia and Poland are growing twice as fast. Last year grew twice as fast as the U.S. economy. I mean, that's, that's how bizarre Trump's lies are. Right? He said that we have added 600,000 new manufacturing jobs. No, not true. He said we've added 5.3 million jobs. Nope. Not true. He said that there's an urgent national crisis of illegal crossings at the border. No, illegal crossings at the border, those numbers are lower than they were in 1971 when Richard Nixon was president. It was the last time they've been this low. He said that El Paso had an extremely high crime rate, then they built the wall, then suddenly El Paso was one of the safest cities in America. Before the wall, for its size, El Paso was the second safest city in the United States. After the wall, El Paso is still the second safest city in the United States. He just lied through his teeth. These are Stephen Miller lies, right? Lies designed to make you afraid of those brown people south of the border. And then he said, I want people to come into our country in the largest numbers ever, but they have to come in legally. This was a lie, too. He has come right out and said in the past that he wants to cut legal immigration in half. So, I mean, what do we make of this? What do we do with this? Where do we go with this? This is, 
by the way, the, most of the people who watched last night, it looks like there was a huge Democratic boycott of the speech. And I'm wondering why the networks have not come out with ratings numbers for last night compared to a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Because I'm betting that Donald Trump's ratings last night really sucked. What they're saying is that the majority of the people who are watching were Trump supporters or registered Republicans. And then CNN surveys those people who watched, which were mostly Republicans, and 76% of them liked the speech. Well, gee, what a surprise. How about telling us how your numbers are skewed? And then Trump went off on this thing about socialism. Oh, my God. So if you don't like socialism, you don't like federal highways, you don't like safety regulations, you don't like clean water. I see Congressman Pocan just sat down in his chair. Oh, he's ready. He is available. Cool. Let me put him on. I was waiting for him to pick up the phone, but there he is. Congressman Pocan, welcome. Hey, Tom. How you doing? I'm great. And I've been ranting about this. Jeez. Uh, feel like we've totally been unified as a country. He brought us all together. In disgust? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to admit, how many times could he say something that is so factually incorrect? And well, I just went through seven major lies. Well, I saw, you know, there was a list that I think the Washington Post put out right after, but what they didn't mention was he had a, a big whopper on drug prices, where he claimed that drug prices went down since he was in office. And I just look at the stats this morning, and I think it was 96 drug prices went up for every one that went down last year. Wow. So, <laughs> you know, I know that he has no problem with, you know, correlating you know, the truth and lies and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, that was a pretty big whopper, and I think that really highlights some of the problems we have around health care costs. But the wall conversation, like you were just talking about his, you know, socialism baiting, bringing up abortion, because that always helps shore up a base that knows that you can't govern. And in a weird mix of stuff, too, it's almost like a several different people wrote parts of the speech, and there wasn't like a unifying right. anything with it. And he didn't know where his segues were. I mean, he was, he was transitioning from one topic to another in what seemed to be mid-sentence, because he didn't pause for the transition. I mean, it was just, it was, it was incompetent. It was extraordinary. By the way, let me set this up correctly. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls. Congressman Pocan is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and he represents Wisconsin's what, second district? Second. Second, second. district. There you go. Pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. So, Congressman, do uh, you want to continue this conversation, or do you want to start picking up some calls? I, uh, you know, let's talk about with what people want to talk about, what parts they do, and if there's any other... Okay, there you go. To... Bill in St. Paul, Minnesota, listening on AM 950. Bill, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good day, everyone. Love the show, love Democrats. I consider myself a progressive. I was one who boycotted the speech, but I had heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, and also... I'd like your opinion to see if I'm being sexist here, but I think Trump pandered to the women there by pointing out that more women are being elected, and they cheered. And I think cheering that type of pandering for presumably some of those that cheered were Democratic women, I think that was the wrong thing to do. I wouldn't cheer that fool if he was the last elected official on earth. Enough of that. Could I hear your opinion on what I just said, please? Especially if you think I'm being sexist here. Bill, I don't think you're being sexist. I think if you would have saw the speech, you would have saw something different. And from the floor, I really saw it. So here, Donald Trump was taking credit for everything on the planet, like he always does. And he wanted to highlight how many women are in Congress as he was talking about all the things he's done for women. 
And they kind of quickly realized, yeah, Donald Trump is responsible for so many women in Congress because that's when we took the majority because of his governing. And they got up and kind of high-fived each other. So it was a celebration of women in Congress uh, that we did it because of Donald Trump's pathetic agenda in the last two years. And he even made a comment back, I didn't expect that response. It's because they were making fun of him. So I actually think it was one of the better parts of the speech because he didn't know how to respond to it. It wasn't written on his teleprompter that, hey, they're making fun of you right now, and they're high-fiving each other because your ineptitude brought so many women to Congress. But uh, I actually thought it was a real powerful moment. So I I think if you had seen it, Bill, you would have saw what I'm talking about. And by the way, I absolutely need to add that Stacey Abrams last night not only made history by being the, the first black woman to respond to the State of the Union address, but she gave a brilliant speech you know, she called him out. She called out the administration. It was a brilliant articulation of American values. I am so impressed by Stacey Abrams. It was the first full speech of hers that I've ever seen. And Congressman, if you have any way to channel this back to leadership next year for the State of the Union, what the Democratic respondent really needs to do is do it in a town hall setting where there's an audience so that there's an applause response to applause lines. I think that's what's always caused these things to fall flat after the president interacts with an audience and gets applause and then you get somebody who has no applause. It would be so much better if she was in front of, you know, a thousand people in a small auditorium. A uh, good crowd, right, to actually show where the energy's at. Yeah. One other thing I think I will mention just for Bill's question, Tom, is he didn't acknowledge Nancy Pelosi in the beginning. And, you know, it was in the House of Representatives chamber. Uh, it's something that's always traditionally done. And that was seen, though, as a slight by him. The very initial. Uh, oh, he acknowledged. He acknowledged the vice president. He acknowledged his wife. He didn't mention Pelosi at the he very acknowledged beginning. Acknowledged Congress, but he did not specifically acknowledge Nancy Pelosi as a speaker. Uh, amazing. I, always traditionally. Somehow, done. I completely missed that. Well, we've got we've got callers from Pennsylvania to California to South Carolina to Arizona to Ohio on the board here. So we'll be picking up your calls in just a moment. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us on the Tom Harbin program. Congressman Pocan's website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, as in representative, rep, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, hello, Tom, and hello, Congressman Pocan. I did not watch the speech. I've already watched enough Hitler documentaries, to, so I don't need to watch another speech by that. But what I'm really calling about is the recent bill that passed the Senate about the BDS movement, that it's supposed to give states the ability to ban BDS. And I want to ask Congressman Pocan where he stands on uh, the boycott divestment and sanctions movement and whether he supports it or not because i am fully in favor of it and i do not know why it is in the year 2019 we do not uh, support uh, doing everything in our power to stop this illegal occupation of the palestinian territories and this apartheid state in israel yeah, Jared, so um, I can tell you, so there's, there's two ways of talking about it. One is there is a movement uh, among states to uh, ban um, people from uh, essentially uh, speaking out against uh, Israel and uh, going after shareholders, etc. There's a bill, the first bill in the Senate uh, that had bipartisan sponsorship was around BDS, and many of us look at this as a free speech issue, right? People should have the right to uh, think or say whatever they want to when it comes to 
uh, the Middle East and uh, to try to stifle that through legislative action uh, is a, a really bad idea, and it's really fo- the foundation of that is around free speech uh, rights in this country. Um, but secondly, to what you asked about the BDS movement, I was now a couple years ago, uh, we took the first ever congressional delegation to Palestine, and I, I was a part of that. Uh, I think we had five or six congressional members uh, that were there, and I asked uh, at just about every stop that question of what people thought about it in Palestine. And it got a very mixed, in fact, a more negative reaction just because people were afraid how it might impact their economics and their current living conditions. Since already it's not great uh, living conditions in many part of it because of uh, issues going on. So while I am going to be a strong, strong advocate uh, for uh, Palestine and for especially for Gaza, where I think you know 1.1 million people out of 2 million people every day are getting food assistance, and I'm not allowed to go there, because the Israeli government would not allow me. I want to see it firsthand. I'm going to be an advocate for making sure that we stop more illegal settlements and all the issues that are important. Um, I think uh, if people in Palestine are telling me when I'm there that they're not sure the BDS movement is good and they're in best interest, um, personally, I'm not going to be advocating for it, but I'm not going to stop anyone's free speech rights who want to put the issues out and uh, talk about the very conditions that make it so difficult for people in Palestine. That's a that's a uh, brave stand. Um, we have just thirty seconds to the break. I'm curious if if uh, you saw Stacey Abrams' speech last night. Your thoughts on it? Um, I did not get a chance to see it because it's as we leave the chambers, and so you're literally walking back, going through crowds. Uh, uh, I have not had a chance, and I've been I've had three subcommittees subcommittees at the exact same two hours. Uh, this morning, so oh I've been my. rushing around. Yeah, well, it's it's it, it, I was so impressed, and and she broke the curse. I mean, you know the the Bobby Jindal, uh, you know uh, what's his name, Kennedy, Joe Kennedy, uh, you know all these guys, you know they. Water. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, Marco Rubio. It just it, it seems like it's a career killer, <laughs> and she broke that curse. She she knocked it out of the park. So I I uh, recommend you check it out uh, when you have some time later on today. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up, as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Tom Arvin here with you. Uh, Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Olga in Concord, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, gosh, I love your show, Tom. Okay, I will posit uh, that we are a deeply deeply socialist country. However, that socialism is reserved for the rich. And that American values uh, have been displaced for the values of the rich. You know, your your Starbucks guy that said, isn't it the American dream to be a billionaire or whatever? Well, that's what the rich want. 
And um, my my bumper sticker is going to be tax the rich, then tax them again. I'll take my answer off air. Okay. Thanks, Olga. Yeah, Olga, I mean, sorry, I think, first of all, you do a great impersonation of the Starbucks guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that's pretty much what I've heard him talk about for the last two weeks. I, I've referred to his uh, presidential campaign launch as the... Uh, uh, trying to carve out the uh, get off my lawn uh, lane because <laughs> all these <laughs> kind of have cranky uh, opinions about things uh, because if they don't benefit um, his billionaire class, he's not happy. He's going to be an interesting candidate if he actually does this. Um, but but I think you know what they're trying to do is make socialism uh, a, a campaign issue, and they're trying to put it out there. And I think there's going to be plenty of pushback, very uh, qualified pushback we can do on this, but. Uh, Ms. Cheney, um, uh, when she did the speech uh, first day when we swore in Nancy Pelosi on the floor, uh, brought up the word socialism, and I see now he's doing it. So clearly this is something that Frank Luntz has probably had people, uh, you know, do the little dial on, and in some ways they can make this work to make you look at someone like Donald Trump and maybe uh, see him not so bad if they can spin socialism just right. I think that's their goal, but, you know, most of the social contract we have that this country is supportive of, from Social Security to Medicare to go down the list of things that people support and are important in their daily lives, uh, you could argue uh, have some roots in uh, social aspects. So I think, you know, we can push back strong on this, but, you know, um, it was a disjointed speech. He was all over the board on things, and he tried to throw a bunch of spaghetti against the wall, and and most of it was just stale, raunchy spaghetti, too. So um, I don't think he landed a lot of hits. David in Greenfield, California. You're on the Earth, Congressman Pocan. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to talk about constitutional law. Um, Article 2, Section 2, powers of the president regarding pardons. Um, I wanted to know if the president had to be under a formal House investigation before he would be restricted in what type of pardons he could give, like, for example, Paul Manafort. Also, I'm curious, um, how would the nuts and bolts of challenging a pardon take place in the courts? Yeah, David, I, unfortunately, I don't have that off the top of my head, so I couldn't tell you when we start getting specific into that. Um, it's something we could try to look into and maybe bring next week and have a conversation. I think that might be a good way to do it. Because it's certainly important, right? I mean, a lot of us are assuming that some of the arrogance of Roger Stone, for example, is because he's assuming there's a pardon to happen. And you know, how much information will Mr. Mueller get for his investigation if they know that there can be a pardon coming down the road? And I, I think those are all important conversations as we're doing the oversight hearings that are so necessary right now in Congress. So if it's all right, David, I'd like to come back next week with a, a better answer for you on that. Hap in Kingman, Arizona. You're on the air with Congressman Pokia. Uh Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, love your show. Thank you. Um, Try to watch it a lot. <laughs> anyway, my question is to the congressman. Uh, you know, when Trump went into that meeting with Putin, he didn't have anybody there to take notes or anything. I kind of feel that was traitorous. And I... I just can't understand how an American president could do something like that, and I was wondering if the Congress and y'all were looking into it. Uh, thank you very much. Well, goodbye. Yeah, Hap, I mean, I, I think irresponsible at minimum, right? Um, and there was, if, I, if I'm re remembering this correctly, uh, the Russians had someone there 
we didn't. So it wasn't, you know, as if it was just two world leaders, ha- leaders having a private conversation. It was uh, very skewed because you could be having a translator saying things differently. Um, why is the president doing this? That he doesn't trust anyone in a conversation with a world leader, especially uh, a country like Russia. But there's just so many things that were wrong about it. And, again, it's part of why we continue uh, to have great reservations over this president and how, um, whether it be the direct interference by Russia in our elections uh, or how all his reaction has been since then, it's just there's way more question marks than can legitimately um, just go away as, as no explanation. It's part of why we're doing a deeper dive in the oversight in the committees uh, right now in Congress. Do you think that there's a good chance that impeachment hearings will will begin at some point? Do you th- I think what you're going to see are the hearings that, you know, that, that you've seen. There's five committees, mainly five committees are doing oversight directly over, I think, the president, and many of the other committees are doing it over agencies. What you're going to see is, I think, Ways and Means is doing tax returns right now. Uh, Maxine Waters is going to do um, all of the various sanctions. And people are going to break it out. And out of that, something else might come. But there's... There was no oversight for two years under Paul Ryan, and we're trying to catch the bus. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Harbin program. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus's website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, we just have a minute. A, with regard to education, it's always seemed to me that the most effective way to clean up our education system in this country is to do away with property tax funding schools. That's the main reason why you know, wealthy neighborhoods have great schools and poor neighborhoods have crappy schools. I don't know if that could be done at the federal level. I'm curious your thoughts on that. And then secondly, what should we be looking at and for in the coming week? Yeah, so on the first part, I think that's how most states do fund education is via property tax. In places like Wisconsin, I can't speak for other states. I know we have formulas that equalize that out. So it's kind of a net the same for everybody. But I would still argue, you know, um, it's part of why we have some difficulty sometimes in getting the money for public education we need to. So I think we should be open to other alternatives for states as they look at this. In the coming week, we should see a deal perhaps out of the House of Representatives on this three-week period that we didn't have a shutdown as early as Friday. Not sure it's being kept fairly close to leadership right now where that's at. Um, but I don't think Donald Trump ultimately will do a shutdown again. I think he might do a emergency order. He might do something else. He might just try to get another extension because that means we're not talking about the Mueller investigation and other things that are important to him. But uh, watch for that because I think between now and the next time we all talk about you'll like to see whatever that deal be proposed to you know. Sounds like a plan. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by. Absolutely. Thank you. Great talking with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I started the show with a rant about how basically what I saw, and I know many of you probably didn't see it, it it seems like the ratings were just absolutely terrible for the State of the Union, given that the majority of the people watching, turns out, were Republicans or Trump supporters, Uh, which is why CNN said 76% of the people watching liked the speech, because very few people, very few Democrats were watching, although the networks have not released ratings numbers. Or if they have, there's some sort of, you know, deep secret someplace. Basically, what we saw was just, you know, a whole series of, of lies, misinformation, distortions, fear, 
pandering to the uh, abortion fanatics in our country, some of his most outrageous lies. I mean, he came right out and said the United States' economy is hotter than any other economy in the world. Latvia's economy grew faster than ours last year. Poland's economy grew faster than ours last year. China's economy has been growing faster than ours for 20 years. Greece's economy grew faster than ours. India's economy grew faster than ours. He just lied, lied through his teeth. And everybody applauded, and all the people who were watching who were Trump supporters were going, whoa, our president's doing a great job. It's like, is this, am I, you know, my sense of this is that this is the first time that presidential lies have been this big, this blatant, that we almost need a fact checker in real time. In fact, I was sitting there, uh, Louise and I were watching the show on TV, uh, you know, the State of the Union show. Yeah, I guess it is. We were watching the State of the Union on TV, but I had my laptop open to the New York Times where they were fact-checking Trump in real time. And they kept popping up, you know, this is false, this is misleading. Well, this one's true. And it was like, the, this one is true. It's like, whoa, he finally said something that wasn't a lie? I mean, he couldn't even get his numbers right. Oh, he added 5.3 million jobs. No, it's 4.9 million. Oh, he, for the last two years, the economy has just exploded. It's all because of me. No, it's been going on ever since Obama became president. There's an urgent national crisis of illegal crossings. No, illegal crossings are lower than they've been since 1971. It's like 50 years. He said El Paso, Texas had one of the worst crime rates in America before they put up the wall. Sorry, it was one of the safest, it was the second safest city of its size in America before they put up the wall. And after they put up the wall, it's still the second safest city in America. Millions of people go back and forth across the border every day, many of them in El Paso. He just, he just lied through his teeth. I mean, it was just breathtaking. And then his slam on socialism, America is not a socialist country, that's Venezuela. So we don't, we shouldn't have public hospitals, we shouldn't have first responders, we shouldn't have fire departments, we shouldn't have public schools. These are all socialist programs. State-run and federal-run highway systems, clean water, we shouldn't have municipal water systems, we shouldn't have national parks, we shouldn't have wilderness trails. I mean, this is, this is socialism, right? We shouldn't have FEMA. We shouldn't have Social Security. That's socialism. It really is. I mean, you know, America is a socialist country. George Washington signed legislation that authorized the first poorhouse that provided medical care, housing, food, and shelter to poor people in Washington, D.C. George Washington, the socialist. And we've been doing it ever since. It just, it just blows my mind. And, and obviously, this is going to be the big Republican thing. Sean Hannity's all over it all the time. It's abortion and socialism, abortion and socialism, abortion. I mean, it's just over at Media Matters, they've actually got a video you can watch, mediamatters.org, of Donald Trump saying something and then Sean Hannity saying something. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And basically, Donald Trump's speech last night was Sean Hannity cobbled together. That's how pathetic this all is. Meanwhile, Representatives uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, and Tlaib, Ilana uh, Omar and Rashida Tlaib uh, of Minnesota and Michigan, along with AOC of New York, were all wearing little pins. And again, this should have gotten a lot of media coverage, and it got none. So please tell everybody you know, because the, you know, the, the media is not going to do this.
they were wearing pins with pictures of of Jacqueline M.A. Rosemary Cal McQuinn. Jacqueline McQuinn. She was, one, she was a little seven-year-old girl who died in Kristen Nielsen's custody, in, 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 in our custody, in a detention camp a couple of weeks ago. And then there were the, she's one of two children. The other one is uh, Philippe Gomez Alonzo, eight years old. He died also. But they were wearing a picture of this little girl who died. These three representatives, Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, and Tlaib. That is, that is powerful stuff. No discussion of it. At the same time that Trump is saying, oh, look at these American soldiers from World War II who liberated Dachau. Dachau was not a death camp per se. They had a crematorium there because so many of their people were worked to death. I've been to Dachau. It was right down the road from where I lived when I lived in Germany. It was essentially a labor camp that was run for the benefit of a number of German corporations. And yes, there were some slaughters there, particularly toward the end. But it wasn't explicitly set up as a death camp like Belsen-Belsen or Auschwitz, which were just places to go to die. And now we have 48,000 people who have been refugees seeking refuge in the United States who have been put in concentration camps here in the United States. And now the Trump administration is requiring these people who are not charged with any crime at all. The administration is requiring these people to work for a dollar an hour, 10 cents an hour for nothing in some cases. We're running labor camps. And people are starting to die. Two little children have died. They're not dying off in large numbers like they did at Dachau, where you need to have a crematorium or something. To, but just the dissonance of him saying, let's honor the guy who, uh, who was liberated from Dachau, or liberated Dachau, at the same time that he's going off on a rant about illegal immigrants, when A, they're not immigrants, they're refugees, and B, they're dying in our custody. And then he had the, oh, I don't even want to say chutzpah or anything like that that implies, you know, courage. He had the temerity to tell us that he wants to be sure that people with pre-existing conditions are protected. At the same time that his administration is involved in a lawsuit saying that covering, that protecting people from being thrown off their insurance because of a pre-existing condition is unconstitutional. That part of Obamacare. See, right now, Insurance companies, as long as it's a real insurance policy, cannot bar you or penalize you for having pre-existing conditions. But what's Trump doing? He's promoting these, uh, what are referred to as short-term health plans. They used to be a maximum of 90 days. Now they're a maximum of three years. They're super cheap. Trump is like, hey, here's a cheap alternative to Obamacare. Super cheap. Why are they super cheap? Because if you have pre-existing conditions, they don't cover you. And if you get sick and they can figure out that there's any pre-existing condition connected to it, they will dump you. This is amazing. And then he, he basically said, and you're not going to get any legislation if you keep investigating me. Right. So anyhow, those are my thoughts on the State of the Union. Uh, and also, Stacey Abrams, she absolutely kicked it out of the park. She broke the curse, right, that, that got Joe Kennedy, that got Marco Rubio. Uh, she broke that curse. She did a brilliant speech. And she was the first African-American woman to, res to respond to the State of the Union. 
And this woman has a political future. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I understand there's a lot of people uh, encouraging her to run for the United States Senate. Uh, I believe it would be next year. I, I sure hope she does. Don't you just love it when something that's already amazing gets better? Well, that's the case with the X chair. The makers have taken what is arguably the most comfortable and supportive office chair in the world and made it even better by introducing wider seats in the X3 and X4 models of the X chair. That means extra support for those of us with wider bases. The good people at X chair are constantly innovating to help improve your working comfort and productivity. And now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com. Al in Newark, Delaware. Hey, Al, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hey, boy, you're in a tear. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said, honestly. Um, I really called to chime in on uh, prescription drug costs. Mm -hmm. And some things that I, I don't think a lot of people realize are that my doctor and my dad's doctor prescribe like two different things generically that drug companies have combined into one drug that's a lot more costly. Mm -hmm. They just rename it something else. And they're saying, look, these two things do exactly what that does. They're a lot cheaper. And if they don't get away with that, they'll, they'll, they'll tweak a molecule or something, rename it, something else like that. And if worse comes to worst, one of companies that, that want to become generic manufacturers, they'll just buy them out. Yeah, this is another thing Trump lied about last night. He said, we've, we've cut drug prices, when in fact, as Congressman Pocan said in the previous hour, uh, drug prices, for every one drug, the price has gone down 60 have had their price increased. Mm-hmm. No, so, no kidding. I mean, when, and he was just lying know, through his teeth. can prescribe two different generics that have been around forever, or this new fangled thing that they renamed something by combining the two and renaming yeah. it and, yeah, you know, I've charging, seen, like, incredible prices for it. I mean, it, what is wrong with our system? Well, it's, it's being run exclusively for profit. That's what's wrong with our system. And if you're going to have a profit-based system, then you have to have rigorous regulation to keep the hucksters from, from you know, ripping everybody off, and they're not doing that. So, yeah, spot on. Al, thank you. Larry in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, hey Larry, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hey, Larry. Love your show. Watch it all the time. I was uh, interested in the discussion you had with uh, Congressman. And I've never been satisfied with your kind of rejection of BDS. How did we get the United Farm Workers was a great boycott? And how did we get rid of apartheid in South Africa was BDS? And I can name many. I was, a, I was at Berkeley in the 60s. Uh, by the way, the cost was $100 a quarter. Mm -hmm. I had uh, free community college in Santa Cruz, California. But uh, back to the BDS, I, I can't understand uh, what would be your alternative because electoral politics hardly makes a dent in the big picture. It never has, really. And, yeah. 
it bothers me that you seem to reject direct action. Congressman Pocan was in Palestine. He went and visited the occupied territories. They wouldn't let him into Gaza, but he visited the rest of the occupied territories. And he asked a number of the Palestinian leaders and a lot of Palestinian uh, locally elected politicians, what do you think about BDS? And, yeah, and, I heard that. and person after person said, you know, don't mess with it. Don't, you know, we're, we're concerned about the economic impact to us. You know, a lot of these people are employed. There are factories there that are making use of basically low-wage labor, but at least their jobs. Uh, frankly, I'd like to learn more about that. I, that's the first time I'd heard that. I've been, I've been kind of, I don't think that we should pass laws saying that you can't speak about things, you know, penalizing people well, for supporting oh, absolutely, BDS. Uh, I mean, that's, that's insane. That's, that's, people are losing their jobs. It's yeah. a, a mild criticism. I know. That, and that's, that's, that's repression of First Amendment rights. But I'm not to the point of coming out and saying that I'm supportive of it. Hi, for the Tom Hartman University Book Club today, we're reading from The Crash of 2016, which might happen, we'll see, but it's coming. This is from Chapter 5. Chapter 5 is titled, Reagan Kidnapped the Jetsons. In a 1966 article, Time Magazine looked toward the future and what the rise of automation would mean for average working Americans. It concluded, quote, by 2000, the machines will be producing so much that everyone in the U.S. will, in effect, be independently wealthy. With government benefits, even non-working families will have, by one estimate, an annual income of thirty dollars to $40,000. How to use leisure meaningfully will be a major problem. End of quote. And that was thirty dollars to $40,000 in 1966 dollars, which would roughly be $199,000 to $260,000 in 2010 dollars. Ask anybody who was a teenager or older in the 1960s, this was a big sales pitch for automation and the coming computer age. There was even a cartoon show about it, The Jetsons. And everybody looked forward to the day when increased productivity from robots, computers, and automation would translate into fewer hours worked or more pay or both for every American worker. And there was good logic behind the idea. The premise was simple. With better technology, companies would become more efficient. They'd be able to make more things in less time. Revenues would skyrocket, and, and Americans would bring home higher and higher paychecks, all the while working fewer and fewer hours. So by the year 2000, according to Time magazine in 1966, we would enter what was then referred to as the leisure society. Futurists speculated that the biggest problem facing America in that Jetsons future of the year 2000 would be just how the heck everyone would use all their extra leisure time. And, of course, there were also those who worried about what kind of degeneracy would emerge when a nation has lots of money and free time on its hands. Neither happened, and it didn't happen, because Ronald Reagan stole the leisure society from us and handed it over to the economic royalists. In 1981, the royalists went right to work, taking down that first pillar on which FDR rebuilt the American middle class, progressive taxation. Taking advantage of the oil shock crisis, neoliberal shock troopers immediately ushered through a revolutionary change in the tax code with the Economic Recovery Act of 1981. The first major piece of legislation signed by Reagan has slashed the top marginal income tax rate from 70% to 50%, cutting estate taxes for wealthy businesses and slashing capital gains and corporate profit taxes. Reagan succeeded a few years later in dropping the top income tax rate even more to 28%, where it hadn't been since the Great Depression. It was the second largest tax cut in history, and it was nearly identical to the largest tax cut ever 
Treasury Secretary Andrew Mellon's in the 1920s, the one that created the bubble known as the Roaring Twenties, which eventually burst in 1929. The great forgetting had certainly arrived. The economic mistakes of the 1920s were coming back around. And again, the influx of all this hot money in the market, coupled with a robust deregulation agenda throughout the 1980s and 90s, would trigger a series of painful financial panics. The reason why the Leisure Society could be imagined by Time magazine is because ever since 1900, working people's wages tracked evenly with working people's productivity. So as productivity can continue to rise, which was likely due to increased automation and better technology, so too would everyone's wages. And the glue holding this logic together was the current top marginal income tax rate. In 1966, when the Time article was written, the top marginal income tax rate was 70%. And what that effectively did was encourage CEOs to keep more money in their businesses, to invest in new technology, to pay their workers more, to hire new workers and expand. After all, what's the point of sucking millions and millions of dollars out of your business if it's going to be taxed at 70%? According to this line of reasoning, if businesses were to suddenly become more profitable and efficient thanks to automation, then that money would flow throughout the businesses, raising everyone's standard of living, increasing everyone's leisure time. But when Reagan top dropped that top tax rate down to 28%, everything changed, as you can see in this graph. Now, as businesses became more profitable, there was a far greater incentive for CEOs to pull those profits out of the company and pocket them because they were suddenly paying an incredibly low tax rate. And that's exactly what they did. All those new profits, thanks to automation, that were supposed to go to everyone, giving us all higher paychecks and more time off, instead went to the top, to the economic royalists. Suddenly, the symmetry in the productivity wages chart broke down. Productivity continued increasing because technology continued improving, but wages stayed flat. And again, since higher and higher profits could be sucked out of the company and taxed at lower and lower levels, there was no incentive to reduce the number of hours everyone worked. In the 1950s, before that Time magazine article predicted the leisure society, uh, before that article was written, the average American working in manufacturing put in about 42 hours of work a week. Today, the average American working in manufacturing puts in about 40 hours a week. This means that despite the fact that productivity has increased 400 percent since 1950, Americans are working on average only two fewer hours a week. If productivity is four times higher than in 1950, then Americans should be able to work four times less or just 10 hours a week to afford the same 1950s lifestyle a family of four could get by on just one paycheck, own a home, own a car, put their kids through school, take a vacation every now and then, and retire comfortably. But all that was wiped out by Reaganomics and Ronald Reagan. And that's just the beginning of the setup for the crash of 2016. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background on my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash tom to learn more.
Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. On the line with this report brought to you by GoesForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. And on the line with us is uh, Bob Ney, a former congressman from Ohio, author of Sideswiped. Congressman, uh, your thoughts on the uh, State of the Union last night? Okay. Hi, Tom. I thought it was interesting. Um, I'm going to be a little trite, too. Why not? Everybody okay. else is, I guess. Um, for the you know actual you know delivery of the speech, and I know people say, well, uh, teleprompters, Obama used them. Actually, teleprompters are a little bit difficult for that uh, length of a time of speech. So I thought he was fairly relaxed in it. In other words, he's come a long way because let's face it, he never was a good speech giver, right? Yeah, could do a campaign rally. So I think he used some things effectively. Had a bit of humor. Did seem relaxed. I thought that, you know, uh, although he said he wanted to unify, of course, he attacked everybody earlier today, that day at lunch, including the late Senator McCain. So uh, he really doesn't have... Well, and he threatened people, and, and, he, and he said, you know, yeah, let's all unify, except for those, those abortionists and those socialists. Right. And, and but, you know, he, he came off, I think, to a lot of people as, hey, you know, I want to do this, except he then just had to add the part about the investigations, which he just absolutely, Tom, shouldn't have put that part in there. Yeah. You know, uh, we're, so we're going to unify, and I want to, you know, let bygones be bygones as long as you do it my way and don't investigate me. And, of course, you know, um, there's an investigation announced today. Uh, but the rest of it I thought was pretty good. He did have a lot of people that were guests, and a lot of presidents uh, obviously all do that. But I thought he had you know, some pretty good guests and brought up the, the prison sentencing reform and prison reform, which I think was a great effort by the entire Congress and White House. But as far as uh, the transportation bill, missed opportunity two years ago. Should have been first thing right out of the box. No mention of health care because the system's got, you know, it's got major problems. And the pharmaceutical thing, I did want to say something about that. You know, everybody's talking about pharmaceuticals, and I think, you know, if they go after them, I think that's really good. But when I read twice what he said, Tom, he is saying about no freeloaders. So he's not, I don't think he's talking about us taking our prices, for example, what they charge in India. I think he's trying to take the prices up on them. Oh, interesting. So he's trying to, I well, think, yeah, I, I was wondering if his uh, call for, you know, ending AIDS was another, you know, let's give another billion dollars to the pharmaceutical industry. And, and but your, your point makes a lot of sense. I was just shocked by the number of lies in his speech. It just, it just was breathtaking. And, and just the hate of, of you know, uh, brown people basically south of, south of our border. I, it just blew my mind. And I thought Stacey Abrams did an absolute kick-ass job. She was spectacular. I thought she was very good. You know, at first, a lot of people, I've uh, talked to a lot of my friends in D.C., and a lot of people first said, well, why are they picking her? You know, I'm talking about mm -hmm. friends on the Democratic consultant side. But I think she was a good pick, not only yeah. because of the delivery. She does have a history of working across the aisle, if you really look at her record, when she was the minority leader yep. uh, down in the legislature. Yep. And I thought she was, uh, you know, h historic because this was, the, I think, uh, this was the first African-American uh, woman to give yes. the rebuttal. Is You're right. Not? You're absolutely right. Okay. I yep. thought so. Yeah. So, so what else now, is going on in the world, Bob? Oh, and the, I wanted to just say about the, the baiting tactic on socialism, mm -hmm. which is what, you know, when, when President Trump was trying to relate Venezuela to right. anybody in the room that was, quote, a, you know, democratic socialist. Right. Uh, I, I call it the baiting tactic on there. The, uh, big story that's breaking right now as we speak. I think this one's fascinating. I really do. And this one can lead to somewhere because 
uh, Adam Schiff, the House Intel chairman, the Democratic chairman, he just announced that he would undertake an investigation into the financial interests uh, and what drives President Trump's actions. Now, here's the interesting part, Tom. His quote is, he would undertake it, quote, beyond Russia. What does that mean? I think that, well, I think that's interesting because if it's not confined to Russia and they start to look at financial interests, then there has to be a look at, uh, you know, the Mideast, Saudi Arabia in particular, for example. And the UAE, which is funding the Kushner family heavily, uh, if my recollection is correct. Absolutely. And then if you look at the recent announcement of the inaugural committee, because at first with that announcement, a lot of people say, well, no, inaugural committees always raise a lot of money. But if you look at who they're targeting in that inaugural committee and any foreign interests uh, with them, you know, maybe this dovetails uh, also on that. But I just thought that when they say beyond Russia, it makes a very, very fascinating look, you know, at where things can uh, can go, yeah. I would think. Yep, I agree. And then the Speaker uh, did say today, uh, Speaker Pelosi did say that uh, you know, she felt that that was a threat about the investigations made on the uh, floor of the House. So I don't think, again, that was anywhere that uh, the President could get in any form of a decent graces with anybody with that statement. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Have, Tom, have you talked about uh, any on a show about the lingering effects of the shutdown and the economic data? Which no, I, I haven't. Pretty fast. Go for it. Okay. Well, the economy, you know, is slowing down, and nobody really is completely sure why, but this is what's fascinating. It's been hard to determine now for the United States because the 35-day government shutdown pushed back or halted all of the basic important economic releases that give all the policymakers and the market participants, everybody, the ability to, to see what's going on, to call what's going on, you know, to take a, a look at it. Right. So that's, that's uh, his own shutdown that's affecting... Uh, so hang on to your hat when those numbers support. start coming out, right? Right. Yeah, okay. Bob Ney, author of Sideswiped, Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Brenda in Copperus Cove, Texas. Am I saying it right, Brenda? Yes, Tom. Thanks hey. for taking my call. I sure. have a solution as well for our congressional leaders and their lack of doing anything. Okay. We need to postcard their congressional addresses and respectfully give them some suggestions, like there's no immigration crisis at the southern border. There's a constitutional emergency at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Whatever we want to write, just be respectful. Say what you think. You know, don't be, like, uh, uh, angry or anything like that. Try to come across very nicely. Do that. Do the writing part. And then also call the call your Congress people, Minor Corn and Cruz and Roger Williams. Call them and ask them to tell Mitch McConnell to tear down the Senate blocking wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Very well said. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks for uh, you all know, you do, Tom. You're welcome. Good talking with you. Scott in Portland. Hey, Scott. Hi, Tom. Hey, I just got a quick one, maybe a little rebranding. Being concerned about the Russian oligarchs or the Chinese oligarchs or the domestic oligarchs, maybe we should just refer to them collectively as all of the garks. Ha! All of the garks. 
Right. It just occurred to me when I was, as I'm hearing this oligarch this and oligarch that, I just, I'll just call them all the garks. Yeah, there you go. I love it. Scott, thanks a lot <laughs> for the call. We are facing really, in my opinion, in a very real way, an existential crisis. And a large part of this existential crisis that we're facing is these billionaires funding things like Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, a billionaire, obviously Donald Trump, the right-wing think tanks, the right-wing vehicles, the right-wing shows, the right-wing radio. Rush Limbaugh getting a million bucks a year from the Heritage Foundation, as Ken Vogel wrote for Politico, as well as Sean Hannity. All to make us hate each other, all to cause us to fight with each other. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And on the line with us is uh, my colleague at SiriusXM, Dean Obadala. His show is on 6 to 9 p.m. on SiriusXM Progress, Channel 127. He's also a columnist with The Daily Beast and just published an absolutely brilliant piece for The Beast about how this, uh, in fact, I was talking about it in the first hour of the program, a MAGA plot, this is the headline, a MAGA gang plots to murder Muslims in Islamburg after Fox fans fear and flames. Dean, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. So tell us what's going on here. And in the largest context possible, why would a billionaire-funded television network work for years? I mean, you track this back to, as I recall, like 2007, work yes. for years to cause Americans to hate each other. I mean, in general, I, I assume the, the bias is, of course, to ratings. It's about profits. And in their view, that made the most sense to get more people to, to tune in and say, it's us against them, and here's the them. Let's watch our channel and only hear from us. In the case of Muslims, I think they made that same calculation that painting Muslims as the other and scary, which wasn't that hard of a sell at the time when there was terrorism going on more commonly, that we're going to do that. We're going to make you afraid of Muslims, and specifically, they did a lot with Islamburg, which is about two hours from New York City. It's a community started in 1980 by primarily African-American Muslims who wanted to leave New York City to live a quiet life uh, up in the forest areas, in a way, the wooded area of Islamburg, but it's completely developed where they live, in houses and homes and a mosque, and it's close to another town. Uh, but unfortunately for them, Fox News made a decision in 2007 to paint them as a terrorist training camp. And continued in articles and on air telling their viewers that this is a terrorist training camp. Well, it was for, for Fox, it was the jackpot. I mean, it was Muslims yeah. and they're black people. Oh, my God! <laughs> I know. What, what, what do they dislike more? It's hard to say, but right. this is the world that this community has lived through. And, so you know, so what's the consequence many, of this, Ben? I'm sorry? What's the consequence of Fox's demonization of them, Ben? Well, various things. I mean, the newest thing is a story I wrote about was the terrorist plot uncovered early this week in a town called Greece, New York, where it's about three and a half hours from Islamburg. But these young guys, three young guys and one 16-year-old teenager, were plotting to commit a terrorist attack on Islamburg and apparently to kill them. That's what the chief of police said. He said, you know, there's no doubt about it. They carried out this plot. People were going to die. That was his words about it. And the police recovered mason jars filled with projectiles, like BBs and other items that, if detonated the way it was planned, it was an IED, would have killed people. And well, before that, there was... 23 guns. And before that, there was Robert Doggett. Robert Doggett from Tennessee was recruiting other people. Rob Doggart is an extremist Christian minister. I hate to even say he's Christian, but in his view he is. He, he was doing himself. this for God. He's 63 years old, so it's a complete divide in generation, who believed that Islamburg was a place for terrorists. He plotted and had guns, explosives, even a machete, he said, to cut them to shreds. Thankfully, the FBI uncovered that. 
and he was arrested, prosecuted, and last year sentenced to 20 years in prison. So these are not taunts. Shades of Rwanda. Plots. They get no media coverage almost whatsoever, frankly. I mean, this, this reminds me of the Rwandan genocide that was whipped up by, by talk radio. Well, you know, it's... Go hate those guys. I mean, has Fox, has Fox evidenced any, uh, any willingness to take responsibility for this? Of course not. This is Fox News. And, you know, of the four that were just arrested, one was, and we know just about one right now from his social media posting, was a big Trump supporter. Yeah. He invited Trump to, when he was getting his Eagle Scout award. He invited Trump to that via Twitter, of course, not personally. But he, in his room, he had Confederate flags. He ranted about Muslims, saying he wanted to kill them, even their children, saying the Quran tells them to kill us. So they're all guilty. Uh, he is a big MAGA guy. And, you know, I, I don't know. You can direct line between Trump and these kids, perhaps, perhaps not, but you can say definitely that Donald Trump is a man who called for a total complete shutdown on Muslims, who during his campaign did his best to demonize and gin up fear of Muslims, saying we knew where the, the Muslim terrorists are hiding, continued to say that the family members of any terrorist knew what was involved in the terrorism and they should be killed as well. So it's not a vacuum. And there are other incidences that have happened with terrorists who have plotted to kill Muslims. But the reality is in America, our media, if a Muslim is a suspect, it gets a great deal of coverage. If the Muslim is the target, the media doesn't cover it. And that's not just my view. The Institute for Social Policy and Understanding quantified this. They went through media coverage over years and big print publications, like the Washington Post, the New York Times, not even Fox News, in more mainstream media. And they found if the suspect was a Muslim, got eight times the coverage of a non-Muslim in a foil terrorist plot. I don't even mean one that actually happened, because some I'd say, well, the Muslims were able to kill people. That was a bigger story. We're talking about foil terrorist plots because even in mainstream media, not even Fox News, these stories get clicks. Yeah, get and when the terrorists are white guys and who have been guilty of the majority of, of terrorist murders in the United States in the last 30 years, when the terrorists are white guys, nah, not so much. Exactly. Amazing. The new report ADL came out yesterday, 50 extremist murders last year, and every one except for one tied to right-wing extremists. There's a new yeah. report yesterday from ADL. Absolutely amazing. Dean Obadala, host of the Dean Obadala Show. He's on Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127, 6 p.m. Eastern. Dean of Radio.com, Dean of Comedy at Twitter. Dean, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Nice for having me on. I appreciate it. Yep. Ahmad in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you uh, for taking my call. I've been a, a long-time listener, but this is the first time calling, too, as well. Thank you. So here's what I want to I want to make a comment real quick, Tom. Um, um, I basically applaud Nancy Pelosi, and I think for the first time as a progressive, I feel like basically she has more um, um, whisper than any other Democratic leader I've ever, I am proud of her. Yeah, me too. Thing. And I think she, she, she needs to start 14 bills, the same strategy Republicans are using and basically naming bills that are negative in the positive light. She needs to start pushing bills on the floor and basically force Mitch McConnell to shut them down. The bills that are helping the middle class, that's what she needs to start yeah. doing. And I'm, and I'm sure she's going to do that. But I think what we need to push as progressive, we need to push that more and strategize and use the same playbook the Republicans have been using forever. And one more last thing I want to make, basically, because I know you got a lot of callers. I work in corporate America, and I, I'm seeing more and more middle-aged white men getting angry and angrier. Even it's just not on the job. It's like it's just a hate field that mm. Donald Trump is spewing out there, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah. They're getting angrier. They're getting to the point where they're just hating any minority group that walks around them. It's, it's just... 
I don't know if you're aware about this. This is basically becoming a big Oh, absolutely. Country. And if you read They Thought They Were Free, Milton Mayer's book about the rise of Hitler in Germany in the 30s and 40s, this one German college professor said to him, eventually you live in a society where, where hate and fear dominate everything, and you don't realize that your entire society has changed because all the all the physical stuff hasn't changed. You know, the theater's still there, the opera, the restaurants, you, you still have a job. It seems all normal, but society has become something completely different. And that's my great fear, is that what is right now, I think, broadly perceived as a temporary aberration might become the new normal for America. And if that's the case, then we are in for a really, really rough road. I'm a, I got to run, but thank you for the call. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want, and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, Patreon.com, slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Welcome back. Wrapping up the day here with your calls. John in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? So Trump quit, uh, he quit lying as much? He only lies every two minutes now? Yeah, yeah, he's lying every two minutes. And, and they will lie about what we say and about what we're doing, too. So, uh, you know, it's just like I'm not having it. Uh, thanks for the call, John, though. Daniel in Henderson, Nevada, watching on YouTube. Hey, Daniel, what's up? Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I uh, love your show. I love all the work you're doing. Thanks, Daniel. Um, we just have a few seconds the, here. I uh, was the State of the Union address, and I think he came off rather charming to the people that believe in him. I suspect got, you uh, may be right. members like we all do that support him. His behavior, how he's goofy and ridiculous, they kind of disregard all of that. And when he gets to the points that they care about, they find that extra charming. Yeah, I think you're right, Daniel, and and I think that for his base, he scored points, and and that's what we're seeing in the in the polls and things, is that people on the hard right, the Fox News watchers, all thought he did a marvelous job. Daniel, thank you for the call. Well, so much for today, so much for the State of the Union. The State of the Union is crisis, at least to hear Donald Trump tell it. But I don't think it's a crisis on a southern border. I think it's a crisis in Washington, D.C. And thank God the Democrats in the House of Representatives are starting to actually look into some of this manufactured outrage. And now they're holding actually hearings on climate change, which is great. So anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.